Hey guys, it's Colby. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to firstly say thank you to everybody who's been listening. It's been really cool to watch our analytics continue to improve over just the last couple of months as we get more content out to you in a more regular way. So thank you for that. The next thing I wanted to say is that I'm really happy with the direction which the show is going. Dawson and I are not natural scientists, as we've said for the billionth time, but it's really important to us to share our commentary and share our opinions because we as lay people want to speak to you as lay people as well. And so that's really important for us to provide scientifically accurate information, but also provide our own commentary on it and our own ideas and our own takes any merit of a talk show or a podcast requires the hosts to have opinions, and Dawson and I have opinions. Whether they're accurate or not, sometimes they aren't, and that's okay. That's just kind of the nature of the way that this show goes, and we're glad that you're here experiencing it with us. Today's episode was all about Odysseus and the lunar landing that happened this last week, and then it tipped over. <laughs> about four hours after we finished recording this particular episode, Dawson and I are going to be dropping on today the day that this episode releases to you, which would be Monday, February 26th, we're going to be dropping a Patreon-specific React video to our own episode here today and the Odysseus Lander tipping over on the moon because so much of today's episode revolves around that and the hope for the future with the technology that we have and then the technology fell over <laughs> on the moon. And while I'm chuckling about it now because you have to find some levity in a really terrible situation, not the most ideal thing, gotta say. So with all that being said, if you wanna check out that content, it'll be for our Patreon-specific subscribers. You can do that by going to www.spacebetweenpodcast.com slash Patreon. Or if that's not something that you're interested in, which is totally okay, just keep on listening and enjoy today's episode. back to The Space Between, one of the top astronomy podcasts in the world, and for that matter, the universe. Colby Van Camp here with Dawson Wagner. Dawson, welcome back to the United States. How was your time in Mexico? It was lovely. A nice detox just to get away from the chaos of the world and, and also to appreciate the United States once more for what it is. Yeah. Big things and lots of burgers and fries. Lots, know. lots of burgers and fries. <laughs> when, when I was in Mexico just a little while ago, it, uh, I had a burger there and not going to lie. It's like the fries, the fries are legit. The burger, it, you just can't beat like a burger from what a burger. Manhattan. Well, you, we you don't have a what a burger here in Manhattan, but a what a burger was in the airport that I that I had a layover in and it was just so wonderful. It's there you go. to have an American burger. You and, you and Patrick more. Mahomes in the uh, yeah, the, the right? Whataburger camp. <laughs> you put a bunch of ketchup on there too. The Mahomes patty. <laughs> I gotta try that out once they bring the Whataburger to Kansas City. <laughs> There's already a Whataburger in Kansas City. Oh, they already do? Okay. Yeah. See that's that goes to show legends. how much I know about yeah. well, Whataburgers in Kansas City. But that's not go. what we're talking about today. <laughs> it's all good. Glad to have Dawson back in the United States. Um, so we're just going to jump into today. But first, before we do that, I need to say that we're going to be going to the VLA, New Mexico. Very large array, 
thanks to the National Radio Astronomy Observatory and the fine people over there. They're allowing us to come over and participate in this really exciting project. And um, I, I'm I'm really stoked to see how this plays out for, for us. And the, the way that we're able to bring content to you. And we're really making a push to get some folks on our Patreon because we're going to be putting exclusive content from that trip on the patreon so if you don't want to miss any of the stuff that we're doing live while we're at the vla then go check out our patreon two dollars a month gets you into our discord server five dollars a month gets you into all of our exclusive content that we'll be putting on our patreon page you can access that at spacebetweenpodcast.com slash patreon that's going to be the fastest way for you to be able to get into our exclusive content and then we'll put regularly scheduled content out there mm -hmm. for you as well a couple of different podcast episodes um it'll just be exciting and then to kick off our like pre-launch to the vla tonight on the night that we're recording this it's a friday we'll release this on monday but friday we're recording a patreon exclusive episode with my brother-in-law, Ben, who's going to be going to the VLA with us. He's kind of nerdy about this. He listened to the show. When we told him we're going to the VLA, he said, oh, my God, can I come too? And we said, of course. That's going to be fun. Uh, a little bit of a bro trip going on. And then uh, one of the fans from the show, she is a friend of mine, but still a major fan, listens to all the episodes, texts me about it, engages with us on social media. We're going to sit down and record with Ben and Aaron tonight and talk about aliens so that's going to be exciting and it's going to be exclusive to patreon so if you want to get that episode go check it out there and uh subscribe to our patreon so that's that's really all i can say at the moment but let's get into the huge news that we've got because the united states is back on the moon for the first time in 50 years that's really cool very cool you want to break that down for us oh, it's just amazing you know it's it's crazy to think like, the last time the United States had something on the moon that we had sent there was the year that The Godfather came out. <laughs> think about that. When I think of that movie, it was, like, ages and ages ago. Look but how they massacred my boy. My boy. <laughs> my boy. It's so crazy. So the intuitive machine landing uh, basically is what this group is. It's called Intuitive Machines. It's a private company that designs aircraft um, and it uses artificial intelligence and all sorts of, of different technology that allows us to be able to send things like Odysseus back to the moon. So Odysseus um, was one of the first lunar modules uh, since Apollo 17 lander landed on December 1972 on the moon, uh, which is just incredible to think. I mean, it wasn't crude. We didn't have a human on this one. Uh, we're potentially going to be having a human go back soon to the moon. can't remember what year it's going to be in, but I know the Artemis missions are trying to take people back to the moon so that then we can figure out what exactly is there. You know, this is all to figure out, can we drill on the moon? What's it going to, how's it going to work with the tools that we have equipped to these lunar modules? And then really from there, it's figuring out, with the frozen ice water that's supposedly there that people have been able to, to, to measure with different telescopes and seeing the frequencies and, and the types of uh, chemicals that are in the atmosphere of the moon. 
which it's not really an atmosphere. The moon doesn't have an atmosphere, but sure. at least the things that come off of where the South Pole is specifically, which is where this module landed, um, is where they're going to be mining and figuring out exactly where there's lots of harbors of water ice and kind of exploring and using the commercial lunar payload services that NASA was able to equip to this um, aircraft, so or I guess spacecraft. Um, and so intuitive machines and NASA kind of came together for this to be able to make it happen. And there's, of course, lots of stories and people are watching it live and were unsure if like it'd be a safe landing. And it was a nail biter for a little bit um, leading up to the, the final moments of it landing. But then they finally got confirmation on Friday. And, you know, it's exciting just to have something back there and to know a lot of people are questioning, like, why? Why are we doing this? Why is it important? Is it even relevant? It's like, no, this is actually huge because we've never actually mined to try and figure out where what we can get from the ice water and what we can use that then that water on the surface of the moon for. Mm. That's incredible to think that we could have a whole other celestial body that we could start getting resources from. Yeah. It speaks to this weird place that we're in from a scientific standpoint that People want to justify science through money. And it's like, we're not going to go explore the moon for the sake of exploring the moon mm. because it's so expensive and somebody somewhere is footing the bill. It's, we'll explore the moon, but you have to make it worth our while. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's like, it's strange because scientists need the money to go do what they need to do. But at the same time, that's like the most anti-science thing I've ever heard in my life is well, I'll give you the money if it's worth my while. Well, we don't know if it's worth our while. And the only way that we'll know is if we go do do it. So, like, mm -hmm. uh, great job there, privatization of space. But um, I, it's a unique situation, and I'm personally glad to see that they put something back on the moon. Right. Um, and it, we've come a long way from sending the Apollo missions to today. And we have people in orbit Right now, on the International Space Station, we have people that are working diligently with NASA and with programs like the James Webb Space Telescope, Hubble, um, all of the celestial objects that we're trying to view, all of the answers that we're trying to get from the Big Bang, and it's very necessary, and it's very important, mm -hmm. and the moon is honestly such a question mark for us, you know, like we see it every night. For the mo unless there's a new moon, right? But we see it almost every night. Mm -hmm. It's been there forever. And it's weird to think that we've only been to it like a handful of times. As a civilization, not, not necessarily right. as a country, as a civilization, only a handful of times have people stepped on the moon. Mm -hmm. And from this article that you sent me from space.com, written by Mike Wall, there seems to be, with the Artemis mission, and the Artemis mission um, initiative, that they're trying to put like a station on the moon mm -hmm. where people stay for a while, which is fascinating. Or because, colonizing the moon. Well, I don't know if we're necessarily colonizing the moon. <laughs> we're not sending people there to permanently live on the moon. It's a collaboration, though, of a lot of different countries and a lot of different organizations that are making it happen. And so it's not like, yeah, it's there's there's no previous civilization there. Well, yeah. as we know. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a lunar outpost, and I'm I that we're trying to build, right. um, and that's right. as we. I'm sorry, that went right over the top of my head, and then it occurred to me about four seconds after you said it that you were insinuating that there were other entities on the moon. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Did you ever watch the movie Apollo 18? 
No, I haven't. I need to. It's, it's a bad is it, movie. Is it, oh, is it that bad? It's, it's dumb. <laughs> it's really stupid. Well, maybe that's why I need to watch it. Maybe I need to be informed like, of why. Like the horror Apollo 18 so movie? Oh, okay. So it's a horror movie? Yeah. It's, Does it it's play a, into like space, the whole... It's a space horror movie. There's aliens that are going to come in. No, it's like aliens on the moon and oh. like moon rocks are aliens and <laughs> and they like infest the astronauts i don't know it, it was not it was it wasn't a great movie there there were like kind of creepy little points where Point it's like the the camera shows the dude like creepily standing over his comrade because he's being controlled by a space rock alien i don't oh, know okay it's weird it's it's, it's a strange too, too sci-fi i mean it's like they tried too hard that's, that's I see. That's what it was. It was like a ripoff of like the Mars Mission movie that was kind of a horror movie, hmm. and then a Space Odyssey two thousand one, and that's kind of that's kind of like what it felt like to me, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, aliens on the moon? Question mark. Aliens on the moon? I guess we'll find out. That's, you know, that's why to, we need to send people to why, the moon. That's why we're sending people to the moon. I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> there's probably not any aliens on the moon, but there is now Odysseus on the moon, otherwise known as Audi. Or Odie, I don't know how they pronounce it, but that's the nickname for this this lunar module, really? this lunar lander that was, um, as I said earlier, designed by Intuitive Machines, and the uh, the program that NASA paid uh, Intuitive Machines to help them, they paid 118 million dollars. It's known as the Commercial Lunar Payload Services, and this really was a a proof of concept mission to be able to prove, okay, can we send something up to the moon and then have it deliver a small payload to the surface of the moon that then is able to mine and be able to test for certain things that we want to be able to test for. And then I don't know if it comes back or not. I doubt it. I doubt it does because usually those are manned missions that do come back and land. Um, but the the model of the lunar lander is called Nova Sea and it's reportedly at least described by intuitive machines as roughly the size of a british telephone booth with legs attached so imagine nice. one of those red british telephone booths with some legs on it and according to nasa it's a hexagonal cylinder with dimensions of 4 meters by 1.57 meters wide of course this is from al jazeera that i'm reading this information so it's in meters and not feet That's whatever fine. It's fine. Let me roll with it. Uh, and the lander is equipped with five NASA payloads and one commercial one, a total of 100 kilograms. Um, so really, the the NASA payloads will be focusing on demonstrating communication, navigation, and pre- precision landing technologies and gathering scientific data about rocket plume and lunar surface interactions. Um, and then as well as space weather, kind of what I was talking about earlier, the, the atmosphere of, of the moon, um, the space weather and lunar surface interactions affect radio astronomy. And so being able to understand that with an actual lunar uh, module on the surface, a lunar lander that's able to send back um, signals and wavelengths and, and frequencies of what it's detecting, as well as what we're detecting from Earth, is going to give us so much data and so much information about what's there that... It's exciting. It's really exciting. The next few years, we're going to find out a lot about the moon that we didn't know. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens in our lifetime with things that are put on the moon. Are we going to put telescopes on the moon? Are we going to put radio telescopes on the moon? Mm. Are we going to put stuff on the dark side of the moon and point it into deep space and not have to worry about an atmosphere, not have to worry about the interference that you get from Earth, and you just have this like dead spot where you can observe to your heart's content? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's, it, that's interesting to me. Well, and it also really goes to show that this is uh, this is in tandem a, a group effort between NASA, Intuitive Machines, and then the following contractors that NASA is going to use, um, all the private companies that they have. We have Blue Origin. We have SpaceX. We have uh, Virgin Galactic or whatever uh, whatever his name is. I can't remember the name of that one. Something Galactic. Is that Jeff Bezos? Uh, no, Jeff Bezos is Blue Origin. Elon Musk is SpaceX, obviously. And then uh, jo- oh, he, he flew himself up in his own thing. Virgin Galactic. I'm okay. Googling it right now. Yeah, Virgin Galactic CEO, if you want to look that up. Richard People Branson. probably are thinking, yeah, Richard Branson. Yeah. He gets some flack, but, you know, I mean, they're trying to progress further into space to try and try and figure out what's there, how do we study it, and by providing cheaper spacecraft that are able to take off and then land and be reused for cargo missions, the space exploration that we're going to be able to do is going to skyrocket. Literally. Which is... (laughs) Wow. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So I just am so geeked out by this because we're about to see so many different private companies help in taking NASA payloads and and things that they want to be able to investigate and learn about and and that will then benefit as a community here on Earth to like learn more about what's within our solar system and outside of our solar system potentially in the future on on any asteroids, comets, you know, I think that it's a really inspiring endeavor and the fact that it's funded by billionaires is just the first step to get it past it being just a billionaire space race, which is what it's perceived as right now. Sure. Because that's what it is. It's to be, that's the only way that things can become cheaper as of right now. I'm interested by throughout this entire conversation in the privatization of space with scientists. So it's like scientists doing science. Then there's also this like corporate side that is being introduced to space, which is kind of weird to me in some ways. And I, and I, and I offer this as, as an anecdote. So throughout the February 15th to February 21st and the whole event of Odysseus going to the lunar surface, it says that this, this article from space.com, Odysseus arrived in lunar orbit yesterday, so that was February 21st as planned, in the home stretch of its touchdown try today, so that would have been two days ago, or yesterday, two days ago was when this article came out. Um, the lander's handlers discovered that Odysseus's laser, Odysseus's, geez, I said that terribly, Odi- that <clears throat> Odysseus's laser range finders, which allow it to determine its altitude and horizontal velocity, weren't working properly. Oh. So the team pressed NASA's experimental NDL payload into service for this vital function, pushing the landing try back by two hours to put the new plan into action. The last minute workaround, which required the team to design a software patch on the ground and beam it to Odysseus, did the trick at 6.11 p.m. Um, EST or 23.11 GMT today. So yesterday, Odysseus fired up its main engine for the crucial 11-minute burn that slowed the craft's descent to the lunar surface. Then at 6.23 p.m., Odysseus touched down softly near the rim of the crater Malapert A, about 190 miles from the lunar south pole. And it's interesting because you have the privatization of the folks that are working together with Intuitive Machines and NASA. And Intuitive Machines, as I read this, their technology failed. Mm -hmm. So they had to go to NASA. They had Mm -hmm. to go to the scientists and say, okay, 
our thing didn't work, so now we need to use yours. That was and on board. That was on board. of this As a payload. Yeah. And so <laughs> NASA had to bail these guys out. <laughs> Which I think is fascinating because right. because that talks to that speaks to me about well NASA was relying on them too to get it's, it's to a get symbiotic it there. relationship so NASA kind of had a stake in it where they're like well we kind of have to use our stuff now yeah because how else yours failed so now we have to rely on ours it is a symbiosis relationship where it, it's because working together intuitive well Falcon it was a Falcon rocket so right, Falcon nine Falcon and it launched nine from rocket. a SpaceX uh I think it was Florida yeah Florida Kennedy Canaveral. Space Center in Florida yeah. and so that's what's really interesting is you have SpaceX working together with intuitive machines and the government NASA so you have three three, three different entities right there right and it's interesting to me that neither can work without the other yeah. like NASA needs the Falcon rocket intuitive machines needs NASA <laughs> Uh, SpaceX needs both of them to justify creating the rocket in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of this weird, and it's it's been like that. It's been like that for years because you have the privatization of who's building the rockets to go to space, who's doing all this other stuff. You have rocket scientists, actual rocket scientists building rockets. But now you get to crunch time, and who do you default to? NASA. NASA. And who do you fall to? The scientists. And so that that's why it's it comes circles back to what I'm trying to build my mind around is this idea of the privatization of space yeah what's what's crazy to me is nasa's space tech mission directorate deputy associate administrator that's a mouthful (laughs) that's his title that's the whole title uh prajun desai said uh leading up to it with the failure of the laser navigation system from intuitive machines the navigation doppler lidar that was on for as a payload was put there as a tech demo and as a test that they weren't planning to use for the actual mission. It was just there to potentially test and use when they get there. Wow. So they weren't even sure they were going to use it. And then they actually had to use it to rely on to be able to safely get down to the moon and be able to use. And, and it's, it just blows my mind, the, the people that all came into that decision-making as the the mission was orbiting around the moon it, it said that they had to um do one extra lap one one extra lap around the moon to allow time for the last minute switch which is this kind of nerd like to think you have to balance how much fuel do you have left how much time do you have until you can actually land it and then w- if, will this thing even work as a that's a tech demo on our on our as a payload crazy yeah it really goes to show how many things just have to align to make it work just right the thing that's also fascinating to me is that they had to create new technology they had to write a patch (laughs) that they then beam to it while in orbit to try and fix the problem because remember there's nobody there if it fails and it's a technical failure what are you going to do Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You can't send somebody to go and fix it. <laughs> it's just there. It just becomes space junk that orbits the moon if it fails. Yeah. Or it blows up on the surface of the moon, which is even worse. Well, and that's what some people were fearing because apparently following the successful landing, there was no signal from the moon lander for oh, like geez. a couple of minutes, like a few minutes passed. And so then there was initial concern about the lander status, but eventually a communications links between the lander and the control team on Earth was established. And then within a couple hours, 
um, intuitive machines reported that it was upright and starting to send data and they were able to show images and that's when we first saw the things that we saw on uh, X, which is where a lot of this was taking place. You saw it live posts all, all the way through and it said pack when it saw package delivered and I saw that at the top of my feed because I follow all this space stuff. So it was the <laughs> first thing I pulled up. I was just so thrilled and I was like, wow. Like I, I didn't even take any part in the mission, but I get to like learn about it and try to understand it. And it just like gets me excited for all the things that are possible to come. Yeah. It says that it took 15 tense minutes for the IM1 team to latch onto Odysseus's signal. Wait, 15 tense minutes? Yep. They're like like tense. tense. Oh, like it was like oh, it was it was a tense, tense moment. Tense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you're like what's 15. a tense minute? <laughs> a tense minute. Yeah. What kind of space <laughs> we're, technology? We're, uh, we've got minutes <laughs> and we're we're tightening it with a wrench. They're tense minutes. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Yeah. Nothing. I, All right. It's sorry. Yeah. Geez, <laughs> no. Tense. tense. That's why I need Jimmy there. here, man. Jimmy yeah, laughs right? at everything that I say. Hey, last episode with Jimmy was great, by the way. <laughs> Just a shout out Jimmy right there. I mean, went off the rails a little bit in some areas, but that's also what is so fun about Jimmy is like, it's fun to go off the rails with him. Yeah. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. We'll have him back on the show. But uh, well, and I also find it interesting. You guys touch on like exoplanets and like being able to, you know, study where exoplanets are. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of sending a crewed mission or you know things to other celestial bodies in the solar system kind of relates to exoplanets and maybe the possibility of one day of of having some sort of propulsion or some sort of thing lunar module that we're able to then propel through space whether it be solar uh what, what do they call solar flare not solar, solar sails flares, solar sails yeah that then would you know propel at such a high speed to get us somewhere or some other form of propulsion that we haven't discovered yet and then would help us study and figure out what's on exoplanets just like how we're doing with the moon right now so i think it's a step it seems like a stepping stone right like this for the moon landing right now you know first in 50 over 50 years by the us allows us to then study figure out what's exactly on there prepare the south pole for NASA's next crewed mission in September of 2026 with Artemis 3, and then from there making the jump 2029, 2020, or 2030 to the Mars. And that's where things get really crazy because so many people have mixed feelings about how Elon Musk says we'll be back on we'll be or not we will. We will send humans to Mars by 2030. <laughs> sure. Well, so, and this gets us into some of the Artemis stuff because you have the lunar missions that are happening right now. You have Odysseus that's on the moon currently. As we record, Odysseus is on the moon doing its scientific stuff. And let's talk for a second about the lunar gateway. So the Artemis program includes the development of a lunar orbiting outpost known as a lunar gateway. The gateway will serve as a staging point for a crewed mission to the moon and then beyond. It is designed to be a collaborative project involving international partners. And again, I'm kind of stuck on this idea about the privatization of space. And what does that do? There's, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of implications. There's space tourism. Are we going to start sending people to space because it's fun? And if that's the, (laughs) if if that's the case, are we going to uh, like re-experience a bunch of like ocean gate stuff because we have people trying to rush into space Mm. and then blow themselves up? Uh, it seems likely it's going to happen. It's, it, it's it, it'll it'll like, happen. It has to The more to happen. we send people to space, it's probably going to happen. Yeah, and then that's going to damage the reputation, the reputation of how we send of people space to space. Travel. Which yeah. space tourism seems like, and I'd be the first person to be like, send me. Uh, it seems like a scam. Not going to lie to me. 
And it personally, until we have advanced enough technology to be able to routinely send people to space. Yeah. And I get it. This it's it's like what what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You have to be able to establish that you can do it to mm -hmm. then prove proof of concept that you can continue to do it. But at the same time, if you continue to do it, the chances that you mess it up grow exponentially. So right. I I get it. It's a catch twenty two. You have to to do it to prove that you will continue to do it mm -hmm. or not to do it, but it needs to be done correctly. And so there's space tourism. There's economic implications. What is that going to do to world economies? Oh. Technological advancements. What kind of technology are we lacking today as one of the, as well, in the most advanced civilization in our solar system? Yep. Uh, the only civilization in our solar system, as mm. far as we know. Uh, but <laughs> come on, it's we're, we're the only ones here. It's all good. Um, we've, been, we've been looking for hundreds of years. We'd be able to see if there was something on Neptune. There's nothing on Neptune. I've been looking the right areas, except, except gas. So, yeah, I, I really want there to be an interstellar wormhole out by, like, Saturn or whatever it is. Right. But it's not there. So. I'm not I'm not thinking too hard about it. Technological <laughs> advancements, what what are we lacking that we need to get there? Mm. Environmental considerations, collaboration versus competition, access to space, who gets to go, who yeah. doesn't? There's so much to think about. Mm. And then we're like, all right, lunar gateway, Artemis program, we're going to put an orbiting outpost known as the lunar gateway, will be a staging point for crewed missions to the moon and beyond. So what what do you think about this lunar gateway idea? So the lunar gateway is really interesting to me because it embodies what we've kind of already talked about with the European Space Agency, NASA, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, the Canadian Space Agency, the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center. I mean, that's just right there, five different agencies and groups that not only come from different countries that speak different languages, but are also so made up of so many different people and characters that have so many different backgrounds and yet can have one mission all together to come to, to try and put something up into the orbit around the moon to allow us to communicate and have a science laboratory and a habitat module for astronauts that then will eventually allow us to use that, it sounds like, as a docking bay almost for surf spacecraft when we send it up and then be able to go down to the moon. And come. It sounds like Star Wars. It sounds like Star Trek. That's what yeah, it sounds, it sounds like. like Star Trek. Yeah. Like the Lunar Gateway. It's just like <laughs> so cool to think that this, we are living in the most exciting time for sure like we get to see some of the most interesting like like evolutions of of what technology that probably was in the works you know over a hundred years ago in like the beginning of of figuring out the computation and and the ways that we could send up something with a, a human you know through the apollo missions and eventually it succeeded and it, and that worked and was there trials and tribulations all, along the way yeah but did we stop it no we were destined and i think that's what's interesting fact about this is that right now the space race back then was more so about like we have to beat the soviet union right or like we got to get up before them we got to land on the moon before them now it's more so let's let's get all these private companies to make it cheaper so we can send more just more people up let's then go explore and let's try out these different names so like the this uh, of different things i saw the lunar gateway was uh previously named for it. deep space gateway 
and then it was renamed the Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway, and then eventually they they renamed it to the Lunar Gateway, which I'm glad they stuck with that name. Lunar Gateway sounds fire. It does. Like, like that's the good. It's the, punchy. It's good. Like it's short. The Deep Space ga- Gateway, which the eh. DSG, the DSG. Yeah, I, I just like. It. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds yeah. like an illicit drug. It uh-huh. does, right? Did you ride the DSG to the moon, man? <laughs> yeah, I rode the DSG to the moon. <laughs> no, I rode the LG. Yo, the give Lunar me some of that Gateway. DSG, bro. Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's just so fun to, like, see all the, the namings of these things. Like, we talked about on a previous episode, like, Space Force and, like, how right. Space Force is a, a real thing that's actually observing how we can make sure to securely, you know, send things up and, and make make the... Uh, low earth orbit and orbit around the earth not polluted with you know all this space junk that could potentially take over when when, as we send more and more things up and i think that's what's going to be interesting is as we do send things up more um such as odysseus lunar gateway and all these all these different spacecraft there's gonna be at the same time a private company which i think there already are and i know spacex has come up with ideas of turning starship into almost like a garbage uh truck and it goes through and it's able to open up and has a magnet that is able to suck in some of the space materials and then put it in its front cone and then take it back down mm-hmm. and have it recycled and then reused and like like that sounds space sci-fi just all the way right there it's very, like intergalactic wally <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> it is wally <laughs> it's wally <laughs> eve uh. <laughs> oh god! Sound like ET. Stop it. Yeah. ET, go home, <laughs> dude. ET. Do you know ET? I was like looking it up yesterday because I was like, "What does ET even stand for?" You did. You. And then oh I was my. like, and I looked it up. I was like, "Oh wow, extraterrestrial." Are you kidding me? How did I not know this? Bro. And I was like, I thought ET stood for something specific because I was like, "Yeah, ET is a special name," and I was like. Well, they just named it extraterrestrial. Really? E E T E E E T E T. Go home. It's extraterrestrial, dude. Extraterrestrial. Yeah, but we name things as extraterrestrial. But the more that we become extraterrestrial, are we going to have to change the definition of extraterrestrial? Ooh, I like it. That's a good question. Are we going to have to rename ourselves as we become less terrestrial based? Yeah. Like if someone goes to Mars, lives there and comes back, they're extraterrestrial as of right now for our definition. Or they or may, let's say someone has a kid on Mars. There you go. The first then, Martian. Yeah. The f- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whole other species. <laughs> a Martian. An actual Martian. Yeah. If you come back as of right now, our definition and you were born on Mars, you would be an extraterrestrial. So my wife figure and I are, are going to Mars specifically to have a child because I want I want that child to be the first Martian. Uh, I, I'd like to I'd like that to be in the Van Camp You're lineage. P- Thank you very much. Could you imagine having like the family tree and like all goes back to this one like the Martian, the original ET, <laughs> the change, the definition of what ET is. Well, think about it. Humans humans have been doing that for for hundreds of years. The first people that land in uh, in Virginia. They 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 named the first child that was born there Virginia Dare I think it was um, oh really yeah I I think that's well I'm, and like I'm the, pulling way back to like <laughs> sixth grade there so I hope that that's accurate but <laughs> it is interesting though as we move forward into uh, more more space and more on the moon celestial objects on Mars and more people 
and, and our human centric ideas get spread there? Are we going to are we going to do the same things that we did when we created towns and and civilizations here on planet Earth? Are we going to use the same naming conventions? Like we have streets in Manhattan that are named after, you know, older white men who were prominently in power at the time that were able to create good policy and laws and help, you know, build up uh, the society and the civilization. And is that going to be the same thing that we do on Mars when we create roads and, and ways of travel and like, you know, are we going to have the the Van Camp Speedway on Mars at some point? Heck yeah, we will. <laughs> Are you if you have me? the first Martian, like, yeah, there we go. Like, like just the Van Camp Highway, Van Camp Speedway. <laughs> I just really want like a, an observatory on Mars. That'd be the wa- Wagoner Observatory or Wagner Observatory. Mm, they'll they'll study uh, Plutonian dynamics there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Call back to one of our first like second third episode. It's, oh, it was geez. more than that, but it was. <laughs> um, and it's I was. Crazy can I, can I just say I was correct? My sixth grade knowledge uh, was correct. Virginia Dare, born August eighteenth of fifteen. 1887 uh, was the first English child born in the New World English colony hmm. um, and in the Virginia colony. And she was actually part of the lost colony of Roanoke. So, wow. <laughs> Whoops. We don't know when she died because nobody knows where they went. Um, huh. But that's, okay. uh, I was correct on that. So, See, big brained. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that just like, okay. So, the naming conventions and the things that we, we name people after or we name our streets after. A lot of it comes from the historical figures that we do study about. Mm-hmm. And so the people that go to Mars, those will inevitably become the first historical figures almost that will help write the constitution of Mars. I or can, will it be a constitution? I don't know. There's I can see it right now. <laughs> Mars Van Camp <laughs> has has a deal with like Mars candy bars. Uh <laughs> See, and, and then now you get forms of <laughs> governance, and then you're like, you think of the form of governance that's on Mars and the technology that we'll have. I think it's going to be a different form of governance. I don't think capital. Well, okay, never mind. I can't make the hypothesis because I have no wait, clue. Wait, if capitalism say it, say is going to. I just don't think capitalism is going to be sustainable in an environment where you literally have to rely on others to live when you're the first like five to ten people that get to Mars, and you're like, okay. We got to conserve our resources because the next thing that's going to come from Earth is like in five months mm-hmm. in like or six that's, months or whatever, however long. That's not an inaccurate hypothesis because, I mean, we 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 were doing that for hundreds of years right. when, when, when we sent people to make colonies and new lands like that's. And it was closer to like a hunter gatherer society at that time, though. Yeah. And so with the evolution of our species and technology and, and more things that we can rely on, I think that, you know, there's going to be some sort of you know, robot artificial intelligence companion that's going to allow you to like compute and do the things that it will it will help get food and resources and gather together, you know, the on on the space or the what am I trying to say here? The entire area on Mars, or at least as we know of, anywhere on Mars that you go, we're not going to be able to breathe. So we need to figure out some sort of solution <laughs> to that on on the on the surface. That's all I was trying to look for. The surface of Mars is obviously really hostile to humans. So if we're actually going to send people to Mars and the moon, we're going to have to have some sort of companion. So I think we're going to have some sort of robot whether that be from you know the 
what what what's the group that's making uh, robots right now? That's very has spot. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name now. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. The, I know what you're talking about something robotics, and and then you have the, like the it's like Massachusetts robotics or something like that. Right. Who created Spot the robot is uh, Boston Dynamics. Ah, I was close. I was close. Massachusetts. I had the state right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's close enough. Boston Dynamics, though. Boston Dynamics has created some incredible videos showcasing robots that could eventually help us in being able to gather and and go back to kind of the hunter-gatherer societies that we once were, but in a more advanced way. And, and to think that we're going to have to rely on that to be able to navigate these, like, horrible atmospheres and and treacherous surfaces that you know on the moon there's less gravity i mean there's a reason why we're sending lunar modules there and and ways of being able to explore and, and build up our uh our civilization to or at least our colony i don't, I don't like colony because i feel like colony and colonization is like it has, attached it has like to, a bad bad connotation, connotation yeah. attached to it at this point I mean, that is kind of what we're doing, but there's no people there that we're, like, colonizing. So we're creating our own new civilization in a desolate, you know, environment that we're going to have to really figure out and navigate. And, and Odysseus is the first step in that direction and creating the spacecraft that we have and you, relying on the, the robots, like like spot or uh i can't remember the the name of the robot that boston dynamics created that can do like the backflip mm. i don't know if you saw yeah the yeah, backflip that of it I've and it uh easy. and then and then you have like you know optimus the tesla like tesla's bot that they're creating have you seen optimus i saw a quick clip of it the other day like picking up things and having fingers like it's like an egg and they can set it back down it, it, i really wanted it to squish the egg and I, I wanted <laughs> I know, it to just right? like crunch and like well back to the drawing board <laughs> <laughs> so bad like i, I I love those videos of like the first robots that are like pogo sticking and like, like jump up and down, jump in, and then the pogo gets off and then just, <laughs> and <it> just like <laughs> he falls over. And <laughs> have you have you had too much caffeine today? Today's been crazy, honestly, for yeah. me. There's been a lot of yeah caffeine ingested in a wild week for Wildcat ninety one nine. That's so, true. That's yeah. true. That's just beside the fact, though. I'm just hyped up on all this space stuff because honestly, when we get when we get talking about where we could go as a species. And, like, what is possible w within the next 10 to 15 years, legitimately. It's it's awe-striking. Awe and, and, or awestruck, awestruck? Yeah, whatever the word might be. Oh, awestruck is like you are awestruck. Yeah, it's so awe-striking like, in, the, in like the, the act of being struck yeah, by awe. In the present. Yeah, so, like, I was in the act of being struck by awe, reading all about how intuitive machines was able to collaborate and really bring back kind of the the I got flame you could say to to the wonder about what we're gonna actually do this like we already have they successfully landed this lunar module here and now it's exploring and figuring out what types of the, the payloads can study that are on the ship and there's like five other payloads that I still need to like look into and figure out about Maybe that's something I'll just look up right now. But. Well, while you look that up, we're in desperate need of stepping aside. So coming up next, more here on The Space Between about a sustainable lunar presence, international collaboration, and looking to the stars. In a world drowned in artificial light, the stars above are disappearing, but there's hope. 
Dark Sky International is on a crucial mission to restore the nighttime environment and protect communities from the harmful effects of light pollution through outreach, advocacy, and conservation. Light pollution disrupts wildlife, impacts human health, wastes money and energy, contributes to climate change, and blocks our view of the universe. Dark Sky International fights against this silent intruder, working to reclaim the beauty of our natural night landscapes. Communities, parks, and regions can earn the coveted Dark Sky Place designation, a symbol of their commitment to preserving our shared night sky. Your choice of outdoor lighting matters. Be a part of the solution not the problem. Following responsible lighting practices, passing dark sky friendly legislation, and advancing scientific research in this field are just some of the ways light pollution can be solved. Visit darksky.org to get involved and stand with Dark Sky International in the battle against light pollution. The stars are counting on us. Well, so too much caffeine, a little bit of ADHD, and uh, the thought of exploring not only our own planet, but going to Mars is pretty exciting. But let's reel it back to this lunar idea because we had started out with Odysseus and I want to finish up with moon-related stuff. But it also does kind of breach into the intergalactic, I guess you could say, because first of all, the, the final goal of the Artemis missions is to create a sustainable lunar presence. So in addition to crewed missions, Artemis aims to establish a sustainable human presence on the moon, enabling scientific research and the development of technologies for future deep space exploration. And that's personally very interesting. And what it's going to take is international collaboration. It's not going to be just America that's funding it. It's not going to be just China. It's not going to be just Russia. It's not going to be just uh, NASA or the uh, the European Space Agency. It's not going to be anything like that. Hmm. It's going to take everybody to be able to get that far and to sustainably stay that far away while we continue to look towards the stars. And I'm reminded of a video that I was watching the other day where it was talking about you know, type one civilizations, type two civilizations, the ability to do all of that. And um, we, it's it's interesting. And I, <laughs> I, I, people are going to be like, well, what on earth is wrong with this guy and his fetish for the movie Contact? I really don't, I don't <laughs> like, it's just, it's such a great movie. And there's so many like fascinating fetish. quotes. There's so many fascinating quotes throughout this movie. And when, Dr. Arroway is trying to figure out if she's going to be the person to go in the uh, thing. Um, there's, there's, I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like censor this. There's, there's a question that she's asked about if you could meet another alien civilization, what would you say? What's the, what's the, if you could ask them one question, what would that question be? And she said, how did you escape your technological adolescence without destroying yourself? Ooh. I'm like, whoa, okay, heavy, because we're in the technological adolescence where we either destroy ourselves or we don't. And I, I personally feel the weight of that these days as like an individual. Where I look around, I look at what's happening geopolitically, and I say, we're technologically advanced to just full stop destroy everybody. Are we going to do that? <laughs> do I trust the people in charge with all of the big red buttons to not press them in the next coming decades? Ah, hmm. uh, mm, call me a pessimist. I can't say that I do. Straight up. And it's going to take firm international collaboration. It's a worldwide effort to be able to go beyond Earth and go to the stars. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where I pose the question to you, 
How do you think we're going to go beyond the technological adolescence without destroying ourselves and look towards the heavens and be able to explore that in a meaningful way, develop the technology required to get out there and potentially even make first contact with civilizations that are light years and hundreds and thousands and millions of light years away from us? The difficult part about all this is that there are so many people that have trouble understanding technology and the advancement of it yeah. already and how fast it's developing that there's going to be so many people who kind of get left behind because they can't adapt to that. Mm -hmm. Because the underlying issue with all this is that this is predicated on the advancement of technology. The only way we get off planet Earth and we are able to explore other planets and be able to work together and make more things is because of technology or at least our understanding of technology as it is right now. Maybe there's something that we discover down the line that's an element that maybe, or maybe we classify as technology, but it isn't, and it's something to do with physics. Or, you know, I, there's so many different variables that have to come into play in this question that when I do really just try to boil it down, it comes back to the acceptance of, of technology and, and new types of applications that can be used with whatever the technology is in, in tandem with other countries and so many people that have been separated for hundreds and hundreds of years by borders and languages that will all eventually somehow come together. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the pessimism is almost easier because you're it like... Feels dystopian. Like it, it feels fake. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's so many variables that have to go right that the easier question is just the easier answer is just say it's all going to go wrong, mm -hmm. and that's the pessimistic way out. Mm -hmm. And I'm a horrible optimist, so I've always been in search of what the answer might be. I feel like I've been searching in the last well ever since I took my astronomy class here at K State. Shout out Chris Sorensen, my professor. <laughs> he really opened my eyes to a lot and and figuring out okay, let's, let's have a moon log and let's log every single night on where the moon is, even if you can't see it. I was like, what do you mean? You're supposed to log the moon even if you can't see it? And it's like, no, you know where it is because you've been logging it every night. So you know when, what to expect, where it might be. And that's the same thing with everything around us. The more that you look at something and the more that you study it over and over and over, the better understanding you're going to have. And I feel like that's what it's going to take is the development of technology and the advancement of not only our data collection, but using the algorithms that help us understand this data in a way to help benefit the, the progress and, and the evolution of society and not, not detract from it. And that's kind of where we're at this tipping point, especially with like information and how the algorithms right now for social media are used to almost be cause harm mm -hmm. where it's it's they're taking our information and they're advertising to us. And so using those same types of algorithms and ways of being able to you know break down information and then be able to simplify it or make sense of it is what we're kind of going through right now with 
AI and artificial intelligence that I feel like is a stepping stone towards being able to then use that on a larger scale to then get data from different parts of you know the universe and and from space and from the moon and from mars that then we're going to be able to break down all these data sets really really quickly with with artificial intelligence and and the algorithms and large language models that we build that then will help us be able to use the equipment and and hopefully further our our advancement through all the different you know things that are are on odysseus that's that's really what it comes back to for me is the trying to wrap it all back in that mm-hmm. I I know I spewed out a lot of different things right there but it's a complicated answer that doesn't have just one specific oh this is this is it but if I did have to spo- boil it down to you know the one thing that helps save humanity and move a, move us forward is technology and the ability for it to bridge the gaps that currently we have between the societies here on earth you know, yeah, that's that's my optimistic view. And maybe that's me being a technologist. I don't know if you've looked up that definition, what a technologist is. No, I haven't. But as <laughs> as you as you said, and I think that this is the part where I get stuck and it's because you are an optimist and I'm I said pessimist and people <laughs> people say I'm a realist. And it's like, OK, all right. Uh, <laughs> relax there, buddy. Um, but I, I do in a lot of ways consider myself a realist and that I'm I'm personally willing to entertain the options that people aren't willing to entertain because that frightens them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I I don't want I'm not even remotely trying to make this about politics, but like when somebody I, I know people who are preppers and part of me is like, Ah, well, I kind of, I kind of see the logic behind why you're doing this. It's a balance. Could, can you, can you take it away too far? Totally. Um, oh, one hundred percent. Do you need? People already have. Do you need the like missile silo bunker under your house? No. Um, but is there is there wisdom in being prepared? You know. Well, some people yeah. don't prepare at all because they don't want to have to live through the what right. that's Ex- going to be exactly, and and or they they can't entertain that yeah. option. Like that kind of failure on the human level is just they can't entertain it. And I get that. That's totally fine. If you're that person, I'm not trying to dunk on you. What I am trying to say, though, is that all of the options of failure and success need to be looked at evenly. And that's where I think we're going to make strides internationally in communications and in international cooperation with the goal of moving beyond the earth because mm-hmm. that seems like the natural progression to me the natural progression we're, we're looking at how can we get to the moon this is the first time ever that we've sat down as a civilization which is such a which is such a fascinating thing to consider <laughs> it's the first time that we've sat down collectively as a civilization and said we are going to try to put people in a sustainable experience on the moon we're going to put a sustainable sustainable lunar presence together and we're going to keep humans on the moon Mm. crazy that sounds like something out of science fiction it's being truly entertained today that's one of the goals that's like the end goal of the artemis missions is to create a sustainable lunar presence right so humans are currently looking upward to the sky and saying can we get there yes i think so with time and in technology and then you say well can we go to mars yes probably in the future with time and technology. Can we get to Jupiter? 
there's probably you can't go to the surface of Jupiter because <laughs> it's gas. But there, you you can we try. Buy it. Yeah, and you, you could you could you be in orbit around Jupiter? Well, maybe. Well, that'd, that'd be kind of crazy. So there, there's things that you can look forward to, and that to me, the hope of what could be, can be the catalyst for why we are able to move beyond our technological adolescence and not destroy ourselves. Mm. And that's maybe naive because no. it all it all relies on hope. Right. right. But it relies on the collective belief of something bigger than yourself for civilization. And I think that that's something that's really positive that's coming out of the Artemis missions because it has to start somewhere. And if it yeah. starts with the moon that we see every night and suddenly there's people on the moon and they're staying on the moon and we have a sustainable presence on the moon, then the sky's the limit. You can continue to push that boundary. And that's what I think is exciting about all of this. Um, and that we'll probably have a sustainable lunar presence if we don't blow ourselves up in my lifetime, <laughs> which is cool. Will I live to see a sustainable Martian presence? I don't know. That's that's That seems like technology that's within our grasp, but also really far away. Will I see people traveling the cosmos in my life? No. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But if I got to be a part of the generation, and I'm not even a scientist, I'm just here talking on my podcast. <laughs> but if I got to be a part of the generation that was the group that said we started it all by getting people on the moon and staying on the moon, that's cool. That's really cool to me. And that gives mm. me personal hope for the future i don't know how that makes no. you feel no. no leave it in our in our poll at the end yeah. i'll put it i'll put it down in the spotify poll if you spotify vote does that make you feel good does that make you feel bad mm -hmm. the, the the hope of a sustainable lunar presence how does that make you feel about our future i really want to know um but it makes me feel good there's there's a hope in that um and then also the survival of our civilization if we're able to put people on the moon and we blow ourselves up on earth people on the moon have a better shot at being okay you know what i'm saying so th there's and on there's mars if we there's people a, on mars you know, yeah like there's there's more other people, people in other places yeah there's 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 more people in other places so that if something cataclysmic happens on home base then at least you have other outposts where people are still there and it's just not like humans are eradicated altogether you know what i'm saying right and they can keep spread i think that's really what like people fear is like it's almost like an ego death in a way if you yeah. if you blow yourself up on earth everything's gone and the ego's gone and everything's obliterated because you can't recover it but if you have somehow in the cloud servers information to be stored in other places that we can put it so then future civilizations can find it and know what we were what we are like you continue and are able to allow the human experiment that we are to to can to keep thriving in the consciousness of future beings. Yeah. And to me, that is comforting for some reason. To know that we won't that somehow my voice on these airwaves will continue permeating throughout all of the cosmos forever. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's amazing. That's that's real that that's something my ancestors can't even wrap their mind. They can't even begin to process. But the fact that we can, because of education and because of knowledge and, and the willingness to just have an open mind to learning about, 
you know, the things that are kind of complicated, which is what technology is. Technology is complicated. Yeah. And the more that we can educate ourselves on the type of technology and, and be able to use our knowledge and technical expertise in different areas, maybe we'll create a, what, what the word I was trying to find earlier, not a technologist, a technocracy, mm. which almost sounds like, you know, authoritarian in some ways because, oh, you just have some technocratic like person that says one thing. It's like, no, actually, technocracy is a form of government in which the decision makers are selected based on their expertise in a given area of responsibility, particularly relating to what type of scientific or technical knowledge they have. Mm. So I like to hypothesize and throw out there that the form of governments on Mars might one day be a technocracy. And we're able to implement, you know, the things that that people are really good at. There's you have a few select people that are really good at some things and we send the best there to be able to do those things because you're not going to send your worst to Mars at first huh, unless you want them to just die. Yeah, die, <laughs> roll over <laughs> and mean, die. I mean, you kind of you kind of have to sacrifice the best, but that's to be able to create a thriving society eventually one day. And they and that's why they get the names of the streets. <laughs> wow! There wow. we go. In the, in the, in the words of Jimmy, what a pull! <laughs> what a pull! <laughs> well, it's to me, it all starts with the moon, and I think that if we go in the route that we've hypothesized is possible on this podcast, that mm. philosophers, scientists, thinkers from around the world for hundreds of years have been wondering and trying to solve the answer to it. Will we continue on? Will we survive? We're in a pivotal moment of history. I don't think anybody can deny that, that we we are in some ways looking down the barrel of our own destruction. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's like disturbing to think. Mm. But on the flip side of that coin, we're also looking up to the heavens towards our own salvation, I think, in some way. And that's that's really what it comes down to for me. And I think that we're going to be a part of a generation that if it goes correctly, hundreds and hundreds of years from now, people will look back on the Odysseus mission and they'll say, that's cool. Mm. And that's what got all of it kickstarted to get us out to where we are today. And... I didn't even watch the stupid thing because I'm I'm because I'm because I'm I'm a moron. I'm stupid myself. I was out having margaritas, uh, and I and I completely forgot that they were landing something on the moon. I should have canceled everything and watched this pivotal moment in human history. Um, but instead, I was I was out <laughs> I was out celebrating National Margarita Day and 50% margs in downtown Manhattan. <laughs> so you can see where my priorities ultimately lie. <laughs> hey hey, but you're talking about it now. You're learning about it just like everybody else and what we're doing is is what we're trying to do as a, a human species right now between earth to mars to the moon we're bridging the space between oh man oh man very nice wow <laughs> i had to get my own in there there you go i i almost i almost you you like led me into the perfect space between moment when you were talking about the bridge and i was gonna be like bridging the space between but i didn't say it i wanted to see what happened i set I, up my own and i knocked you, you, you know? bro you 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 knocked that basketball <laughs> off pole. the side Sorry, and you, you dunked your own you dunked your own rebound that was that was nice um <laughs> Anyway, it's fun. Yeah, it's good. Well, as we wrap things up, I'm just I'm really fascinated by the the possibility of people going back to the moon because I think it'll happen unless something cataclysmic happens or for whatever reason, scientists say, no, we shouldn't do that. And I don't think there's anybody saying that right now. 
um, and cooperation continues between intergovernmental bodies and everything stays at the status quo of where it's currently at. In will the next we, 10 years, we'll have people back on the moon. Which yeah, is really will cool. we send Odysseus to the moon? Will it land? Uh, yes, actually, it happened. There you so go. now we get to say that. Yep. That's so cool. Very cool. <laughs> well, that's going to conclude today's edition of The Space Between. If you want to check out all of the rest of our content, you can. Wherever you get your podcasts from, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, we're everywhere. So appreciate you tuning in there. If you want to be a part of our discussions and our exclusive content, especially as we gear up for the very large array here in just a couple of weeks, then go check us out on Patreon, www.spacebetweenpodcast.com slash Patreon. $2 a month gets you into our exclusive Discord server, the Quantum Computer. And then $5 a month gets you over into our exclusive content that will be shared on our Patreon page only for the people that are subscribed. So if you want to be a part of that, you are more than welcome to join that particular party because we'd love to see you there. We appreciate everybody tuning in today. Coming up next, nothing more but the space between. Space between.